If you're coming in, come on in. Did you hear him? What time does the 7 o'clock meeting start? All right, so welcome to New Freedom. Welcome to Position in Neutrality. Um, we always start every group with a prayer, and Chaplain Lee is in the house. Come on and stand to your feet all over the room. All right. Father, we thank you again today for this time, for this hour. We thank you, Lord, for everyone that has traveled from there and far. We ask you, Lord, now as you come into this meeting, we ask you to bless it. We ask you to strengthen us as we prepare to go into the 12th step, the final step. And we recognize, Lord, that we had a spiritual awakening through these steps. Learning that we now, on this day, learn how to carry this message out to others that are in need and continually practice what we have learned. We thank you and we praise you and we give you all the praise. We ask you to bless the manservant that is here to speak on tonight. Let his words flow with ease and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name and let everyone say amen. Amen. So thank you, Chap. Uh, this weekend, Saturday night, uh, Chaplain Lee's got a service. Or those of you in the public, those of you who are members here, uh, Youth Ablaze is coming. Um, it'll be pretty lively. There'll be 16 rap artists here, but they'll be they'll be spreading the gospel. And uh, we're opening the doors at 5:45 instead of 6:15 for family members. So you know, just so you can plan, we're going to have the whole ballroom. It'll it'll be pretty lit up. Some of you some of you may have yeah. Um, and the other thing is I'm wearing a different shirt, and I want to just let you know the reason I'm wearing this shirt is one of our own, um, going back to take care of some old business after having worked here for a while, but Daniel gave me this shirt, said don't, never underestimate a McDonald covered by the blood of Jesus. And, and I hope this cover goes with Daniel while he goes and does his time so he can carry that message to to the men that he will encounter. So, uh, thank you, brother, for what you do here, and we're with you while you do your time. Send us everybody you meet that's a fit for our culture, yeah? All right, Daniel. The other thing is you need to know is nowadays, all the tablets in ADCRR and the tablets in Maricopa County Although they don't get to see you live, they get to see you delayed about three days. So what we like to do is give them a little shout out to wherever you got any loved ones on a prison yard in Arizona or in Maricopa County. Let's let them know we got a place for them, keeping it warm for them, got the lights on. So we're going to just launch right into step 12. Those of you who have never been here before, you'll catch on soon enough. And... Uh, Basically, we're going to start on page 89 of the book, a little chapter called Working with Others. And it starts out saying, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Notice the words they use there. They found, this is their book, this is their testimony, 
Nothing so much ensures immunity against drinking as intensive work, one alcoholic with another. It works when other activities fail. What other activities do you imagine they were talking about? So, so pretty much everything we would do in replacement of actively serving at some point is going to fail. And it's, it's, it's really, from their experience, the one thing that will continually keep me awake and uh, my identity is to continue to bear witness to that identity with another who desperately needs their identity restored. Does that make sense? Because that's what we do in 12-step recovery. It isn't an abstinence program. It's an abstinence fellowship. The program is about awakening spiritually. Yes? Okay. So then it says, this is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. What message? Very good. There you go. So everyone's getting the point. The, the program of recovery is discussed in the book. It's not, you don't attain status as being in the program by simply sitting in a chair. That just got you to a fellowship. So the book details the program of recovery, and we're trying to focus people's attention on that, not because we're, we're dogmatic, but because we don't want anyone to go through any more suffering if they're ready to receive some help. Yes? Okay. So it says, you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Then some promises for you. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you'll not want to miss it. So who's we when they say that? The first 100 and their experience of the first several thousand. So they started seeing people that everyone else thought was hopeless get well around them. How many of you have had some of that experience here walking around? There's a lot of you, because I, I hear it from you, right? We, start, we see people come in, and they don't know what's up, and then all of a sudden they start to awaken, and they start helping the next one. Yes? Okay. Um, so we know they'll not want to miss it either, right? Because... When we talk about that experience, it's a redemptive experience, isn't it? How many of you are graduates in here? Isn't that part of, isn't that part of why you come back? Part of why you come back, right? Because you're, you're now that living example of what, what all of these folks can aspire to, yes? All right. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. You think that's true in Phoenix, Arizona today? It's, it's unlikely that there aren't people who want to recover. You could easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They'll be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or a reformer. Why do they caution us about that? Yeah, no one wants to hear about the evils of drinking or drugs from somebody who's newly removed from it. And especially if I'm not ready to be removed from it. 
Any of you, any of you, well, you're still in it, and you were miserable, and you knew you were miserable, and you really kind of would like to stop, but not yet, and then somebody started laying on you, you know, you really got a drug problem, and I go, no, my problem is your attitude about my drug use. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about? Because I need distance from that, because I'm not ready, yeah? Okay, he says, unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You'll be handicapped if you arouse it. Ministers and doctors are competent, and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. Now, the whole purpose of the step process is to awaken to the spirit within the vital sixth sense so that when I'm armed with the facts about myself, what I was like, what happened, what I'm like now, I can witness with power of the power that brought me to them. Does that make sense? Okay, so it says, so cooperate, never criticize, to be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. How do we do that? Just kind of engage him, right? Okay, it says, it says if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. So who's the persuader in their experience? Alcohol, Alcohol cocaine, methamphetamine, fentanyl, much more per persuasive, more powerful persuasive force than us, yes? Okay, as it says, they should be patient realizing they're dealing with a sick person. So as you're going out in this, don't expect people to respond to logical thought. Because in my active addiction, I'm not capable of logical thought. Okay, so is there any indication, if there's any indication that he wants to, to stop, have a good talk with the person most interested in him, usually his wife. Get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition, and his religious leanings. You need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned. I read all of that because we mostly don't do that anymore. We've got these fellowships and we go meet them. And the thing we need to do is not assume we know where they came from, what their background is. We've got to engage them in an inoffensive way so they can tell us what they can receive. How many of you have had someone telling you something that just repelled you right away? And you couldn't hear anything more because of your judgments. Pretty much all of us have had that experience. So we don't want to be that guy. So what I need to do if I'm trying to carry this message is continuously be meditating on how would I like to be approached if the roles were reversed. Does that make sense? Okay. So then I want to jump from there because we've got a lot of material. I'm going to go over to page 91 because we normally anymore will meet them in fellowships or in programs or what, however we normally meet them now, right? So it says, see your man alone if possible. So how many of you have been blessed with a spiritual awakening as all the steps and is endeavoring to work, carry the message to others? Some of you? Good. Okay. So can be challenging to see them alone in a fellowship meeting, can it? Sean kidnaps them. Anybody else? How do, you, how do you engage somebody alone in a crowded room? 
Some of you probably take them, go with them afterwards, get there early, right? Okay. All right, so at first, engage in general conversation. What's that look like? Yeah. You hear, Sean? Just general conversation. What do they normally hear if they walk into one of our fellowships? Yeah, they usually get a lot of unsolicited advice, right? And, and it's because people are just not awakened to what, it, I mean, we've all done it, but the reality is it's not the best approach, right? All right, so, so this is, tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. Do you know your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences as revealed to you through this process so that you can speak in a way that is not going to immediately trigger their Alcoholics Anonymous sensors. Or... <laughs> Any of you bounced before, and then if anyone talked to you after that, you heard the fellowship language and what they were saying? Where's, where's my people that come from a church family, and, and you can instantly hear someone is about to give you a sermon? <laughs> we're very attuned to that, right? Okay. So if he, if he wishes to talk, let him do so. So that's the key. We only talk until we elicit a response, and then we stop, because they're going to tell us precisely how they'd like to be approached from there. Yes? So you'll thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. So they're just refer, reaffirming what I just said. If we, we get them talking and then stop, they're going to tell us what they can receive and what they can't. How many of you worked with people and found that to be true? How many of you tried telling them what they were going to do and then later said, you didn't do a damn thing I told them to do? <laughs> of course not. We're not prone to do anything anyone wants us to do. That's how we get in that pickle. All right, so if he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why not? Sean doesn't think he's ready to hear how that was accomplished. How many of you have been at this long enough to know? You don't know? Any of you just keep using and using until you're just this dead hulk of a human? And then one day, pow, you weren't that? Yes, sir, I got you. Me too. Me too. That's the, that's the trick. Is that It's above our pay grade. I don't know how it was accomplished. I can tell you who accomplished it. Happy, happy to introduce you. If he's in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. Any of you have trouble because of alcohol, drugs, something? Are you able to talk about it without moralizing or lecturing? The reason they say that, I've learned it over time. I used to think I had to be disparaging of myself to level the playing field. And what I learned in being receiving that, when people would say, well, I was a piece of crap, I was a whore, I would, well, all I could hear is, you mean like me? Because I can't hear them describing themselves. I hear them describing me. And the truth is, at my worst, and at my best, I was a child of the living God. And that's been revealed to me powerfully through this process. And that's what I owe them. 
unapologetically. Does that make sense? Okay. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. So how many of you have humorous stories of your escapades? I should see a lot more hands. I guarantee you there are some great stories in this room. We went to court for a guy this week who's one of our own. And by the way, he was facing significant time. The Holy Spirit walked in, and he got one year suspended, and he is out on intensive probation. And, uh, and what he does when he gets high is he steals ambulances. I don't care who you are, that shit's funny. You know what I mean? But the Holy Spirit got him off. The ambulance company found it a lot less humorous than we do. Um, but as you see, we relate to the silliness of it. Get him to tell some of his. I'm guessing that everyone in the room came up with a silly story to tell, right? Did you go there to the silly story that you did while you were out? Any of you do anything crazy? Some of you have one out. What did you do crazy? Robbed a Twinkie truck. Were you smoking pot at the same time? <laughs> cool stuff, man. Okay, when he sees you know about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. So how baffled were you and how did you finally learn that you were sick? Yeah, Sean really started an awakening when he wound up in a public detox and he, his socioeconomic status did not allow his ego to accept that outcome. Any of you ever got placed in a place that you were ill-prepared to go because your conduct made others mistake you for being something less than what you knew yourself to be? Like everyone in the room, right? Okay, so we're baffled by that, right? Any of you ever end up in public detox? Do you see a lot of people down there you didn't want to be like? Anyone point out to you that you were there as a patient and not an observer? So give them an account of the struggles you made to stop. What are the struggles you made to stop? Yeah, sometimes we would check ourselves in over and over again to detoxes and rehabs and then storm out and, you know, we got all kinds of stories, right? Okay. Show him the, the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we've done in the chapter on alcoholism. If he's an alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He'll match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. So they're talking about the chapter on alcohol, more about alcoholism, and they're talking to us about Jim the car guy, and they're talking to us about Fred the salesman that the AAs approached him and he goes, oh, thank God you got here in time. I'm not as bad as you fellows. I'll just not pick up no matter what. And then everything went fine until one day it didn't. And he came to three days later in a cab. Jim, the car guy, lost his job due to his drinking. And he ended up having to go to work for the dealership he once owned. And they recite on his way to work one morning he was a little agitated. Any of you ever found yourself agitated with what you saw as a lesser job? 
because of things that had happened in your addiction? Well, that's what happened to Jim. When he got there, he had a few words with the boss. Nothing serious. And then, after a while, the idea came to Jim that he should go out in the woods looking for people to buy cars in case they just didn't know to come to the dealership to buy cars. Any of you ever had such an idea where at work where you were supposed to be and thought you ought to be somewhere else just in case you were missing an opportunity? <laughs> On his way to the woods where car, dealer, car buyers who don't come to dealerships to buy their cars hang out, he passed a roadside place and they had a bar. And he didn't worry about that because he didn't pick up no matter what. But he went in and he ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk and he ate the sandwich and drank the glass of milk and then the thought came to him, a shot of whiskey could not hurt me on a full stomach. And that experiment went so well, he had another and another and then they recount another trip to the asylum for Jim. Do you relate to any of those things? The rest of you are sleeping, what am I doing this too slow or what? He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. So hopefully you're doing some of that, some of the baffling nature of it. Do you ever, you guys hear the story of the jaywalker in this book? We just substitute jaywalking for drinking. And they said, you know, he would run in front of cars. And at first he just got a little hurt. And then after a while he's getting really hurt. And he can't seem to stop running in front of cars. And they're comparing that to our addictive disorder. Okay. All right, so if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So how would I be satisfied if someone's a real alcoholic, a real addict? I'll probably be able to tell, but if you go back to page 21 of this book, they describe a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, always or seldom mildly intoxicated, always more or less insanely drunk, any of you relate to any of that? Like you didn't do it a little, you did it a lot. As a matter of fact, you did it a lot so good, people didn't know you'd done it a lot when they met you. Where's my drinkers? Any of you go check out in for a blood alcohol and they kind of were surprised at how intoxicated you were? Yeah. So, if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So what is the hopeless feature? All of that knowledge will not prevent me from doing it again and again and again. The insanity of the first drink. Okay. So show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So you'd have to go through your step process or you'd have to have someone help you find that. But how many of you have had some clean time and then you went to a work environment and everybody, things have been busy and you're just doing okay. And then one day someone said, hey, we're going to go out afterwards and have a few drinks or do a little something, something. It's been a hard week. And you get to thinking to yourself, well, I had a hard week. Why can't I go out and do a little something, something? Any, any of you ever have fall victim to that? What happened? Yeah, they went home. I went and lived under a bush. That's what happened to me. So that's why I can't and they can't. 
So don't at this stage refer to this book unless he's seen it and wishes to discuss it, and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Why not? What difference? How many of you had the opinion shared with you by medical professionals that if you kept doing what you were doing, you are going to die? How affected by that were we? So it really doesn't matter other people's opinion. I desperately need to know with certainty that this is a condition from which I cannot extricate myself. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can if he's not too alcoholic. Some of you are chuckling. It, the nature of us is we're, we don't ever want to be told we're not addict enough. We'll argue with you until we're blue. Wait, listen, let me, let me tell you this one. But insist that if he's severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. That's the one that we sometimes forget to tell him. There's a pretty good chance you're not going to be able to do this on your own because I don't get sent out very often to treat hangnails. So if you ran into me, the good news is the one who sent me wants you. And it's always up to you whether you want to receive it, but if you do, it's here and today is your day, right? All right. So continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. So what are these conditions they're talking about? They're talking about a physical craving beyond my mental control, which is unique to the alcoholic type. That doesn't happen in the average temperate drinker. And then a mental obsession that will require me to seek ease and comfort even from a dangerous place, ultimately, because that's just what happens. Yes? So it says, keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. See, I don't really have the facts about me in a meaningful way until I've been through the STAP process and saw all the various ways myself manifest in selfishness, dishonesty, resentment and fear, guilt, shame and remorse, and all the ways that I changed who I was in order to get your attention or whatever and became an inauthentic me that I didn't even like. And then it was easy to kill me on a daily basis. Any of you understand what I'm saying to you? So we got to help unwind that because it's not true. One thing we do here, and it's the only thing we do here, people talk about all the millions of things we do here because it's very busy, but the one thing behind everything we do is we restore identity. That's it. Who you are and whose you are. Once you know that, you can go conquer the world. And we expect you to. Yes? Okay. So explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it'll serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. So you're going to know how you're doing with your prospect when they start talking to you about how much like you they are. Does that make sense? 
And then it says, if his own doctor is willing to tell him that he's alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. You ever had that experience from the other side? Someone's matching you, this is what I was like, this is what happened, and you're like, dude, how, you're not that now. I can't even see that on you. What, what's up? Have you ever had that experience? So it says, let him ask you that question if he will. And then in italics it says, tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. Guys, we soft soap that and we do everybody, including the God we serve, a disservice. I was an addict of the hopeless variety. I did not stop unless I was locked up, chained up, or comatose. I was all of those things. And then one day, pow, this power came into me and I've never been the same. And that very power was delivered by a man armed with the facts about himself and he spoke to me of this solution he brought to me from within him. And from that moment, I have had a heart to serve. And all we do here is try and talk to you about who you are and whose you are because you too have a heart to serve or you wouldn't have landed here. Does that make sense? And I have no credit for any of that. And I just want all of you to know that that power that brought me here brought you here. He sent me a few days early to get your bed made. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. They put that in italics. Yeah, God and power interchangeable here. But why do you not have to agree with my conception of God? None of us can fully define or comprehend that power which is God. They've already told us that. And it does not matter what your conception is. It will grow if you will apply yourself to this process because it does for everyone who applies themselves to this process. It's far less important what you believe about God right now than it is what God believes about you. Because you wouldn't have got here if God did not believe in you. Even if you don't like that idea. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. And if you're new, coming fresh out of a run, and you don't believe in a power greater than yourself, then you're wasting valuable high time <laughs> because methamphetamine, heroin, cocaine, fentanyl is obviously a power greater than you. You wouldn't come hanging around. So we're not telling you to believe in the power we're talking about. We're just trying to get you to believe you're whipped. Does that make sense? And then I'm willing to live by spiritual principles because I don't like whippings. How many of you can think of anyone who beat you any worse than you beat you in your life to get to recovery? I would hunt them down and kill them if they treated me the way I treated me. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It got ugly. 
When dealing with such a person, you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There is no use in arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. And I will tell you, too, we can't be a half the original fellowship were atheists or agnostics. The other half were religious folks dying in their addiction. So part of the reason I need to know something of their spiritual leanings is I know how to talk to them. Because I'm going to talk to a church person different than I'm going to talk to someone who's against the church. But it's the same spirit in me going to do the talking, and all i got to do is get armed with the facts. Does that make sense? Yeah. Chap and I are about to launch a product not too far out now. We're both seeking the same power. Because it's time the church came back and started helping their folk, and it's time all the rest of the people that got a problem with the idea of this power get that clarified. Does that make sense? So it says your prospect may belong to a religious denomination and his religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But he will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. Have you ever had that experience? How many of you have been in a church family and just dying in it? And walking back in feeling shamed and over and over and over and no one knew enough to tell you you've been ill. But you don't, you don't need abstinence. What you need is a healer. And then you'll walk in a condition called spiritual inebriation so you don't have to be restless, irritable, and discontent. Does that make sense? Okay. So I've had some... I had a pastor come up to me one time who was a meth addict, which I always thought had to be interesting when a pastor's in meth psychosis, what they see. But uh, chap must know. But, uh, <laughs> but I thought, he said, he goes, he goes, it's really disturbing to me. I've always been taught 12-step was bad, and you're teaching with authority, and I don't know what to make of it. And I don't know if any of y'all have been in a church family, but when a pastor tells you you're teaching with authority, he ain't talking about my authority. He's talking about the authority. And so what I said to him in response to this little thing, he knows a lot more about it than I do, but he does not know any more about it than the one I serve. And if I'm teaching with authority, I would suggest you listen. Because you said it, I didn't. Does that make sense? All right, I'm going to jump. So we're going to 94. It says, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. So it would help if indeed I had made a self-appraisal. And then it says how you straightened out your past. So how did we straighten out our past? We might have started making amends after what we identified in that inventory, Yes. And then why you are now endeavoring to be helpful to him. Why am I endeavoring to be helpful? Absolutely right, Tyler. The only reason I'm still trying to help people, regardless of how I might tell myself how selfless I might be, the reality is I'm paying my never-ending debt to the one who redeemed me from that pile. That's it. 
I, I, there's no better use of my breath than to advocate for my brother and sister. And so that's what I'll do. And I'll do it with all the flaws that I still have. Because God didn't make me perfect. It's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. So that's all they want us to know is that I'm not doing your 12-step, I'm doing mine. I'm guaranteed an awakening as a result of these steps. I'm not guaranteed your awakening, I'm guaranteed mine. I'm guaranteed my insurance. So there's still an element of self-preservation, right? Do any of you have been around AA rooms long enough to remember when the coins all said, to thine own self be true? They're talking about that higher self, that uh, prodigal came to himself while he was eating with the hogs. And he remembered how things were in his father's house. And he knew the servants in his father's house were eating better than he was eating amongst those hogs. Any of you come to in a hog pen? And come to yourself and realize if I just get back to the father's house, humble myself, conditions are going to be better. Well, actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. Make it plain he's under no obligation to you that you hope only that he will try and help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Why do I hope that for them? It's the only thing that ensures immunity. So I hope you, I hope you take the commitment, take the assignment, and then walk out in the assignment for a lifetime. I hope, I hope your life brings life to many. Where's Eloy? I expect your life to bring life to many. I can say that to a lot of people, but especially to you, brother. Expect it. Robbie, you too. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he's not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off for he's helped you more than you've helped him. If your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you've perhaps made a friend. How many of you have made friends in recovery just by talking to them straight, but you didn't see them for a while and things got better and then they came back and told you something impactful that you shared with them you didn't even know? God just operated through you anonymously. So it says, this is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. It says, your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. Any of you ever worked with one of those? Any of you ever been one of those? <laughs> We're uniquely qualified. You'd have to know what all of the program was, right? All of the program is a manner of living. So if you're still sucking air, you ain't done. So ain't nobody done it all, or they're down. <laughs> all right, so he may, be, he may be available at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Any of you kind of freaked out about that? Freaked out about four because you're going to have to tell on yourself in five? I, I, it's true for everyone, but everyone just you, be in the step you're in. There's no way you're ready for five when you still haven't done one. What's the first step in recovery? We learned we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were, right? Until I, until I come to myself and admit personal powerlessness, 
then I'm not going to get flooded with this power that's going to empower my decision. Does it make sense? All right, so do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you've made much progress did you not take an action. Is that true? All of us had doubt. All of us moved past those doubts. All of us received a good deal of grace. And then one day we were walking in a certainty we hardly recognized ourselves in. True? On your first visit, tell him all about the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows any interest, lend him a copy of this book. So we don't do a good job anymore. People come to the fellowship and they say, welcome to the program. See, we get you to the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous so you can find you're not as unique as you thought you were. And then if you show any interest in growing in this fellowship of the spirit that we talk about, then we would lend you a copy of our book. And the only real reason we lend you a copy of our book is so you can prove to yourself you cannot read it till someone shows you how. <laughs> how many of you read that book a thousand times and didn't know all that was in there? It's not your fault because someone else told you read it and then they told you what it said. Nobody knows what it says to you but you and the God you serve based on where you are in your growth. So I have to show you how to... How I find my experience encourage you to have yours. Everyone has to give the same dignity to everyone else. And if we do, we go back to 65% efficacy over 15 years instead of three. After 80 years of scientific progress. Okay, so I want to jump because I don't want to miss out on this. I'm on page 96 says, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. How many of you working with others did get a little discouraged? Because it seemed like, oh, man, I can't ever get them past. Any of you had that experience? So it says, what to do there is search out another alcoholic and try again. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. How many of you have finally found somebody that you did not have to chase that in fact, once you started working with them, they chased you. Remember, they're not chasing you, they're chasing him. So, keep it real. Stay awake. Okay, so we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. So all of that's fine. Their, their own personal struggles are their personal struggles. Every bit of that, I cannot have their experience for them. I would cheat them. I'm, I'm seeking this experience so that I can grow in my walk. Does it make sense? So it says to spend too much time on one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he'd continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. So they're speaking of Bill, who was the author of much of this, and he's talking about the first six he was working with in New York before he went to Ohio, and he met Bob, and anyway, we're now in the millions of people that would have been affected if he'd egoically chased after the others. Does it make sense? So, so there's, some, there's some real gravity to us being able to quit tying ourselves to outcomes and start Taking the leadings of the Spirit. Any of you just decided to go apply the Spirit on somebody you just targeted? 
like there was no power, no, and you're like, damn. How many of you have been surprised when all of a sudden you're just targeted to somebody and you're just in the spirit and you just know what's up and they respond? There's a difference between being on assignment and being on ego trip. <laughs> okay. And we've all done it. I'm not poking on anyone. It's just experiences we have as we grow. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go to page 97. It says, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. How would I be sure I was doing the right thing? Yeah, by now I'm assumed to be awakened, right, right, Tyler? So, so I'll know if I'm doing the right thing or I'll be convicted, yes? And if that's not your experience, then pause when agitated or doubtful and ask. Does it make sense? They've, they've taught us that to this point. Pause and then ask, and then it'll come to you in an intuitive thought or decision, Okay. Pray, meditate, pray, pause when agitated or doubtful, pray, meditate, pray. They did all of that so we'd get disciplined, so we'd stay awakened, so that we could be good vessels. Yeah? All right, so helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the good Samaritan every day if need be. It may mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. I'm going to stop right there. A lot of people don't know the reason why you've got to keep moving through the process is the process is just preparing you to be an awakened servant, to walk consciously with God as you go about and do the healing he does, right? And so the whole, the whole point is 12 is the big amends. If I don't continue to serve, I haven't done my amends because I haven't converted the musty past into a healing to help another. Does it make sense? So the healing I need is going to be found in the healing of another. Is that making sense? Some of you are feeling that. Who felt that? That's the power we call God. All right. So your, your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may say, sometimes say she's neglected because you neglected her. Um, a drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. So in three, they told us we had a new employer, and now in 12, they're telling us our job responsibilities. Does it make sense? And how many of you went to innumerable police courts, jails, and asylums? How many of you had people you don't remember their name of that came and visited you there? They were paying their never-ending debt. And so that's part of what it looks like, right? They're telling in the 12-step experience, that's where I'm going to find my healing is out amongst the sick because redeemed people redeem people. Okay. So we seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time. It's not good for him, and it sometimes creates serious complications in a family. So we got to be careful about trying to meet all their needs. They're going to talk to us not to put our work on a service plane. Um, though an alcoholic does not respond, there is no reason why you should neglect his family. How many of you have known people 
whose family didn't know who to talk to about the difficult situations that we put our families in when we're running and gunning. Who better than you who knows that condition and knows your own redemption to comfort them about how, look, start talking to him the way God sees him. That's the way I'm going to talk to him, and he'll walk into it soon enough. Right? You should continue to be friendly to them. The family should be offered your way of life. What's that mean? There's no reason I can't show the family what a step process looks like, because I'll guarantee you, when you're living with me in active addiction, you're crazy. <laughs> so you definitely, you definitely need to be redeemed through this same process. Um, should they accept and practice spiritual? Should they accept and practice spiritual principles? There's a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. To those of you who got out of prison and you're running back to save someone in your home, I suggest to you, we do not chase them into the grave. We call them out. Let's get you awake. Let's get you serving. They will come out. Does it make sense? Okay. And even though he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable. For the type of alcoholic who is able and willing to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is want, needed or wanted. The men who cry for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. Yet we do go to great extremes to provide each other with these very things when such action is warranted. This may seem inconsistent, but we think that it is not. In an awakened state, people are going to stop you and ask for something. Just because they don't know what it is they're supposed to ask for doesn't mean we don't have an obligation to give them what we do have. Does that make sense? It's, it's not material things that they're asking for. When they ask for change, as Chap says, it's change in them. They just don't know that. It's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. So I told you last week, growing understanding and effectiveness, I said understanding of what, effectiveness at what, and I said we'd get back to the effectiveness this week. It's not the matter of giving, but when and how to give. Does that make sense? That's what we're growing in effectiveness of. All right, so that often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence upon God. And that, that's a truth that we don't dish to people, but think about that. Any of you that are students of another book, they tell you to teach the man to fish. If you haven't figured out, this is, all, this is a manual on how to become a fisher of men based on your life experience. Because no one knows better than you what it is to be pulled out of the pit. True? Okay, so it says, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. How does one burn into consciousness? 
It's going to take something beyond me because consciousness is awareness of being aware of that consciousness within me. So to burn that in, I'm going to have to be walking in the Spirit and I'm going to have to be speaking to the Spirit in them. Does that make sense? The only condition is that he trusts in God. I've been running through it all night. We want to do that again? The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. All right. So I'm going to go over to, let's see, how are we doing? Um, I'm going to go to page 100. And they give us a little caution here. Now they're talking directly to those of us that are out serving and working with others. And it says, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. How many of you have come to know that there is a new man or a new woman within you? So they're not talking about you walking with another human. They're talking about walking with the new man within you. And they're talking about walking consciously. How many of you have learned that you still often think like you but act more like him? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Any of you been empowered to be kinder than you feel like being? That's, that's what they're talking about. So we're going to grow in consciousness because it makes me a better servant. So I've got to walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. It says, here's some more coming for you. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. How many of you know that signs and wonders follow us? All day, if you're wandering around here, right? When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. How many of you have come to that realization? Like, it's so obvious to me, because I'll guarantee you this was not on my original thesis <laughs> for how my life was going to end up turning out. At least 36 years, huh? At least. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. That's pretty... <laughs> So here's what they got for us. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. Guys, if we wrote to you in prison and you started getting a bump from Maddie and Denise's and the team's letters and you started believing that you could be more than you've been because somebody out there believed you could be more than you've been, then you presently lived in a new and wonderful world regardless of current circumstances. And we've always known if we didn't free you in there, we could never hope to have you live free out here, which is why when you land here, everyone says, welcome home, because this is the atmospherics that tells you you weren't mistaken, that you in fact have been delivered. And you're being prepared here to do more delivering. Right? Okay. So I'm going to jump from there. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. So it says, assuming that we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. 
We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. or Our friends must hide their bottles if we go to their houses. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. How many of you discovered that there was no one that could hide their stuff from me if I was driven? So that scheme was not going to work for me. The last treatment center I got released from, they made me do a relapse prevention plan. And they told me to write down my triggers. Any of you ever had that happen? I wrote pulse. <laughs> If it's pumping, I'm dumping. <laughs> I was considered not compliant. <laughs> we meet those conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. We tell you that because we don't want you suffering. If you're still struggling, you're doing it wrong. I've been delivered from it. I want people to know that. The message in our fellowships has for years been, you got this, just keep fighting. No, we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity has returned. Does that make sense? In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. So our rule is to avoid a place where there is drinking, or not to avoid a place where there is drinking, if we have a legitimate reason for being there. So I'm going to leave it with you. We're in the, in the walk now. If you've been through your step process and you're serving others and you have a legitimate place to be anywhere, according to them, it says that includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain old ordinary whoopee parties. I almost want to go back to 1930 and attend a whoopee party because I'm thinking that's got to be some kind of a hoot. To, to a person who's had experience with... With an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. You'll know we made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? When they put a question mark, eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness, it's time to go. Why am I going? Am I going to pretend this, you know, I can do anything, I'm the same guy I always was, and I just want to snatch a little pleasure? Or am I really going there, I don't know why, either to share in somebody's joy, or the Spirit has sent me in to get somebody out, and I just haven't met them yet? Does that make sense? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you can answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you're on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive is go in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. 
If you're shaky, you'd better work with another alcoholic instead. And I'm going to stop right there, but thank you. Next week we'll be in step one.